I don't believe you're born with entrepreneurial DNA. I think the entrepreneurial DNA is a result of all the failures you've experienced. And now, it's time once again for the show that gives glorious voice to 25 million business owners across the fruited plain. Radio Free Enterprise with Frank Felker. Hello, hello, hello. Yes, indeed, I am Frank Felker. Welcome back to Radio Free Enterprise. You know, I try to talk about a lot of different things on Radio Free Enterprise, and and one of the things I talk about is the difference between a growth business and a lifestyle business. And a lifestyle business is sort of your typical mom and pop, uh, doctor, lawyer, candlestick maker, local restaurant runner, people who make a great living from their business, but are not the kind of business that you would necessarily see on Shark Tank or or on CNBC. They're raising millions of dollars in venture capital and and trying to be the next Uber or what have you. There's a very important distinction between those two types of businesses. The founders of those businesses have a lot of common challenges that they share. And I often say that my target audience, the people out there listening, are the, the founders, the leaders of founder-led companies, so that could be a growth business or a lifestyle business. Today, I want to bring you the founder of a growth business, and another interesting aspect of what he's doing is the viral nature of the marketing that he's doing. The way that I found out about his, uh, his uh, platform, I'll describe here shortly, but I just think there's a lot of great lessons that today's guest can bring to all of us, no matter what type of business we're running. So I want to welcome... Michael Chang, founder of Snipley to Radio Free Enterprise. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for having me, Frank. Thank you for being here today, Michael. Let's take off right out of the gate with, uh, you know, it occurred to me that trying to describe Snipley in an audio format is kind of like trying to describe a color or a smell. (laughs) You know, it's like, well, it's kind of like this. Uh, But anyway, I imagine you've had to do this as a a founder of a a growth company. What is your elevator speech explanation of Snipley? Yes, of course. And at the beginning, it was especially difficult. Like you describe, it's like a color that they've never seen or a smell that they've never experienced. And so Mm -hmm. it was one of my greatest challenges in how to explain Snipley because simply because it's so visual. And you have to see it. Once you see it, you get it. But the way I explain it is um, uh, businesses share content all the time. If you think about the past 10 links you've read, it's probably on social media. But brands and businesses don't share links for fun. They share it for a very specific purpose, to spread their brand awareness, but ultimately to drive a conversion. And so what Snipply empowers brands and businesses to do is to add that conversion opportunity, a call to action, and include it into the links that they share. So that even as you're sharing links from The Verge or Vox, uh, you can still include a piece of your own branding in that link and also a call to action to direct your visitors to do what you want them to do. Well, let me give you an example. I think that's an excellent explanation, and obviously you've had a lot of time to craft that uh, message. Uh, (laughs) But uh, just to explain to listeners who still may not be exactly tracking with what you're saying, I'm Facebook friends with a person named David Deust, and David shared a piece of content that I thought was really fascinating. So what he did was he dropped a URL from an article onto a post on Facebook. So there was the headline of the article, which got my attention. 
There was David's little two or three word reason why he found it interesting. There was the, the featured graphic from the article, from the website, wherever the article was found. And there was the first, whatever it is, 150 characters from the article. I looked at all of that and I said, yeah, that's interesting to me. And David's a smart guy. I'm always interested in things that he shares. I'll click on that link. Clicked on the link, up pops the article, let's just say it was on the Washington Post. And I, I noticed, though, immediately that at the bottom of the page, here's a little banner with David Deuce's face and a little message from David that said, if you'd like to learn more about whatever it was, and it was a, a call to action that was congruent with the piece of content, the message of the content that he had shared, there was a button that said, click here. And then I did click here and I was taken to one of David's web properties. So this is how Snipply works. And, and this is what uh, Michael was describing is that we as individuals or as business owners share content to be a thought leader. But we also the ultimate objective is to drive conversions. So does that did that do a decent job of giving sort of a case study of what you're doing? Yeah, that's a fantastic use case, and we see it all the time. And it, it's really about giving credit to the person who shared it and also acknowledging and recognizing who sent you to that valuable piece of content. And it's also, for from the sharing perspective, it's an opportunity to customize the reading experience, custom-tailored to your own audience. It's your message that's being shown to people who follow you. So it's very interesting in that respect as well. It really is. And uh I've just, uh, I'm really just starting to learn about it. I've, I've got so many questions to ask you, but let's, let's go to the next uh, sort of question begging to be asked, which is, where did this idea come from, Michael? Yeah, so um, it's uh, obviously not a eureka moment. You know, many things happen <laughs> tied to uh, ultimately the idea of Snipply. But uh, if I could try and do my best to pinpoint a eureka moment, it was when somebody asked me what was my return on investment for all the time I spend on social media. So for previous businesses that I've been involved with, I spent a lot of time especially sharing content, curating content on social media. And of course, I get likes, retweets, followers. But at the end of the day, what is the tangible return on investment? If I spend eight hours getting seven followers and nine likes, what does that mean for my business? It's very difficult to translate that intangible social metric into something that I can use on, say, a spreadsheet. And so Snapply is all about creating that solid conversion opportunity. Um, and in order for that to happen, there needs to be a conversion opportunity. So a call to action of some sort, a measurable conversion needs to occur on the page. So Snipply is all about including that opportunity so that I can say, okay, I spent eight hours curating content and I got three click-throughs on my call to action, which landed on my page. And one of them ultimately purchased my product. Um, so that's where the mm. idea came from. It's mm -hmm. the question of what is the return on investment with social media? What is the return on investment on content curation? And Snipply is all about answering that question and helping people find the answer to that question. Well, I was going to ask this question later in the interview, but it, it just leads right out of what you were just saying. What sort of metrics and analytics does Snipply offer to people so they can see what type of uh, benefits and results they're getting? Yeah, so on the very basic level, there's clicks and conversions and conversion rates. So that refers to how many people are clicking on the links you're sharing, how many people are engaging with the call to action that you include inside the link, and what is the ratio between those numbers. Uh, and that gives you a really good sense of how effective the content you're sharing is and how effective your value proposition is. I've seen businesses with as high as 40% conversion rate to as low as 0.4% conversion rate. Mm. So it's all about experimentation, just like if you're writing a Google ad. You know, you have a very limited amount of characters. 
how do you capture the attention and imagination of people such that they would engage with your call to action? And so those are some of the key mm. tricks is clicks and conversions. Uh, and then beyond that, there's a lot of interesting analytics that you don't normally get. Let's say you share an article to Washington Post. You know how many clicks you get, but you don't know how long they stay on the page, how many pages they visit after they click through your link. So you could be sharing a BuzzFeed article, for example, and they could get a million links, but you don't know the bounce rate. If the bounce rate is 99.99%, then you're not actually delivering value. The fact that you got a million clicks is actually misleading to the quality of content that you're sharing. But with Snipply, you actually get metrics such as when I share a content, when I share, when I send somebody to an article, how long are they spending on that article? How many pages are they reading after they click through on my link? So there's analytics there that lets you refine your content sharing strategy as well. It's just tremendous. I uh, I spent a lot of time. You you sent me the link to your YouTube channel, and I was uh, quite taken with the fact that all of the YouTube videos. Were not, none of the, at least that I saw as I started from the top and got about 10 deep, were produced by Snipply, but rather they were all <laughs> produced by users That's who right. were like, hey, I got to show you this cool new thing I just found. And um, what I really got from that was two different things. One is there are a lot of different ways to derive value. There was a video about how to drive more traffic to your blog, you know, how to drive more traffic to your podcast, how to, I saw a guy who's using Snipply to uh, try to help build his downline in a multi-level marketing <laughs> business. Um, just all types of things. And uh, the other part of it is that I saw each person's, if you will, take on it, what their perspective was on it. What is this thing? Snipply and and how they tried to put a name on it, and uh, and so it just sort of helped me sort of triangulate and synthesize what my thought was about what Snipply was, but let's um, let's keep moving along. With I could really talk to you about this for a very very long time, with the um, what I was just talking about, all the different people that are using it, and I imagine that back at uh, Snipply HQ, you get to see all the uh, forty thousand foot metrics and and all the different use cases. Tell us about a couple of the coolest or most interesting uses you've seen for this. Yeah, my favorite is Greenpeace. And Greenpeace has been one of our biggest users from the beginning. But, you know, we built this product primarily with business and brands in mind. And so when I first saw nonprofits using Snipply, it was very interesting because the call to action is towards a cause. And the, I remember very mm -hmm. clearly the first link I saw was Greenpeace shares an article uh, that was about, I think, whales. Um, you know, they were not being treated fairly. There was a, a number of issues with wildlife that they represent. So, but this one in particular was uh, about whales. And there was a call to action from Greenpeace using Snipply that says, sign this petition. Right. So it's very clear you're reading a content about the, the extinction of whales and how they're being mistreated and all the problems that are going on in the world that are threatening the livelihood of whales. And there's a direct call to action from Greenpeace that says, sign this petition to help us wow. further the cause. And it was so powerful. And I remember the call to action, uh, the, the conversion rate on that call to action was well over 50%. And it was amazing. And it just spoke so clearly to me that you know, when paired with the right content and the right call to action, there's a real value that can be created because when you're reading an article as a reader, oftentimes you want to take action, but publications aren't going to spend the time to plaster call to actions on the page. You're going to have to maybe Google a foundation that represents whales and then mm -hmm. find their petition and sign it. So even mm -hmm. if you want to take action, oftentimes it's not that easy. And so what Greenpeace has done is using Snipply, they've made it really easy 
to, to take action on the spot after you've read about a cause you care about. Uh, and so uh, since then, a lot of nonprofits have used Snipply, and, and to this day, it's still one of my favorite and highest converting call to actions uh, when it comes to use cases. I love that. That is such a great example. Jeez, uh, everything you say brings to mind about 10 more questions. Let me <laughs> ask you something. Uh, you know, we talked about the metrics a moment ago and how, you know, bounce rate and a lot of things that you see, let's say, with uh, Google Analytics or other types of analytics. Once somebody comes, let's say I uh, let's say I'm Greenpeace and I say uh, click this button to sign the petition. What do my internal analytics tell me? Do they tell me that this visitor came from Snipply or they came from the Washington Post or wherever that article was? Uh, you have both of those information. So if you're familiar with Google Analytics, uh, you have UTM tags. And so the UTM tags uh, actually includes both of those information. So the Snipply link includes where the link is. So if it's Washington Post, the Snipply link once unfolded would actually look something like snip.ly slash abcd question mark washingtonpost.com ah, slash articles. Okay. And so the mm -hmm. URL includes both pieces of those information. So you can very easily segment your analytics such that it completely ignores Snipply, for example, and you can just see where traffic is coming from normally, or you can filter specifically, I want to know how many clicks or views are coming from Snipply specifically, or any combinations of those. What about if I wanted to know which one of my Snipply messages was working the best? Because there are so many different variables. I can change you know, the call to action, what the button says. I can call, change the coloring of it. I can change what the graphic is. Uh, you know, I could. I guess that's you've got a lot of different things. But there's a lot of things I could change in terms of the look and feel and functionality of the Snipply bar or whatever you want to refer to it as. Does it track? Can I track that? So technically, you could do that in Google Analytics. But uh, for really Snipply Analytics, I recommend using our dashboard, which would have everything you need. Because our dashboard includes A-B testing features that allows wow. you to test different colors, different buttons, different messaging. Uh, and it displays all of those analytics separately so that you can optimize and make those decisions. And really, as a marketing tool, that's all we're about, is empowering users to experiment with different marketing messages and see what works better and be able to increase their conversion rates over time. So the analytics is really a tool to help them improve the analytics. Mm -hmm. And everything is available in the Snipply dashboard. But of course, you, you can do that in Google Analytics as well. But our dashboard is built specifically to help you measure those things. Well, I don't want to get too deeply into the arcane with this because many listeners may have already tuned out as we started talking about <laughs> analytics too much. Uh, so let me say another thing that I think is important. Uh, which is just pure branding. Uh, when I click on this thing, and let's use the David Deust example I was talking about before, I then associate David, his name, his face, everything, with that content and with the headline and with the graphics that are on that page because they're literally being presented all together to my eyes uh, as I see it. And so whether or not I click on his uh, call to action, there's still a branding benefit to the person who uses Snipply. That's right. Okay. Uh, blah, blah, blah. I'm just, I've got, I usually try to go in a very linear fashion with my questions, <laughs> but I just, my brain is just on fire with all this. Okay. Um, now, here's one thing I was interested to see as I was watching all the different videos, uh, and is that Snipply is so effective that it's actually, in some circles, a little bit controversial. Mm -hmm. uh, and I thought, you know, they often say if uh, if you're not upsetting somebody, you're not doing anything <laughs> important. 
So would you like to speak to that at all as far as some content uh, publishers uh, feeling like they're getting the short end of the stick somehow? Oh, yeah, of course. And Snipply was a debated topic from the very beginning. There's people of both sides who like it, hate it. Uh, and, of course, everything we talked about, being able to add call to actions on content that you share. Uh, of course, for the person who publishes the content, how do they feel about that? Well, they're very divided into two camps. There are people who uh, don't like call to actions appearing on the page because uh, they see it as their property. They don't like the additional traffic. And we've, we actually make it extremely easy to opt out. All you have to do is just submit a request, and your site is opted out. And so, oh, really? It's not, it's not so, when you say that, that means if I were to try to share a link to a particular site that had opted out, it wouldn't right. work. Right. And and that's our stance as a team. We're not here to you know build a product and force it down people's throats. It's really what we believe is that when you incentivize people to share, when you give other people a piece of the real estate, they're much more likely to share your content because they also benefit from sharing links from your articles, which means that. If you write really good content, I am now heavily incentivized to share the things that you write because not only do I drive traffic to your content, I also get brand awareness and some conversions could trickle back to me as well. Uh, and so the other camp are publishers who love Snipply because they see a real value in incentivized sharing, that people are much more likely to share more content, share their content um, because the, the value is now aligned before as a content sharer, I'm not really incentivized to share content, not really. And I don't mm -hmm. really benefit from driving a lot of clicks to your website or your blog. And so uh, a lot of publishers love Snipply for that, the opportunity to align themselves in terms of um, value proposition, be able to drive conversions together. Uh, and so there's, there's that side. But yes, we make it very easy to opt out for anyone who's uncomfortable with what we do. That is just fantastic, Michael. I really have to congratulate you for your clarity of thought about that and understanding, getting everyone's incentives and, and motivation in alignment. And for people who just don't get it, well, here's your button <laughs> yeah. to opt out. Sorry, sorry right. we couldn't get along. We can agree and, to and disagree. One thing I want to make very clear, though, is that we use all canonical URLs and flow-through settings, which means all the SEO juice goes directly back to the original publisher. It doesn't interrupt with any of the advertising revenue. So even if I share a link to your page and it's a Snipply link from me, you still have all your ad revenues, all the impression that happens on your page, all the click-throughs. Wow. Everything is still yours. And so everything we do is really to keep in mind always that there's a delicate balance between the reader and and the reader side is why we have, you know, elegantly designed call to action. It's not pop up. It's not in your face. It's not wait five seconds to click through because the reader experience is important. It has to be subtle yet effective. Um, the writer experience, the publisher experience, that's the side where you get all the SEO. You get all the ad revenue. Um, you know, it's not about taking that away from the publishers. And then, of course, the sharers. The sharer gets the brand awareness and the call to action opportunity. So, Looking at that from the big picture and being able to balance those three very major parts of the content ecosystem is our priority at Snipply. Great. Well done. Well done, my friend. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Now, I, how I got started using Snipply is that your built-in uh, you know, viral nature. Uh, David is using your free version which includes a little, you know, Snipply logo. And I assumed, and correctly, that if I clicked on that little logo, I was going to find out more and find out how I could do what David was doing. Right. So, and it worked like crazy. And it, for example, here in this particular case, 
I then, after registering it, I guess uh, you had an autoresponder sequence that dripped a few emails out on me. And uh, one of them said, you know, what can I do to, uh, to help you understand and, and, and more better engage with Snipley? And that's when I responded to your email, and, and one of the results was this interview. Right. Um, but it struck me as what a tremendously easy viral marketing system this was. Uh, are you doing anything beyond the viral marketing, or is that uh, sufficient to grow at the, at the rate and scale that you'd like? Yeah, the built-in virality is a big part of how we've grown, but it's definitely not the only thing that we do. Um, one of the things we realized very early on is that Snipply is a tool of imagination. As in, you know, we as the product builders can't go out and tell people how it's supposed to be used. Surely, because from, <laughs> just from observing, we learn so much. And we're always constantly surprised by the ingenuity of how people use Snipply. So we knew from the get-go that it's about fostering the community. It's about you know what you saw on the YouTube playlist. It's about getting people to produce content, produce guest posts, blog posts, uh, podcasts like this. Because it's, it's about extracting the individual's idea of what Snipply is and getting them to share that with their network that we find most effective. You know, there are, there's an entire community that... That, that are real estate agents who use Snipply to generate leads because that's one of their biggest challenges. But I'm not a realtor, and it'd be, it'd be very difficult for me to ever teach anyone how to use Snipply in a real estate setting. But that's why we foster those communities and engage with the blogging communities and podcasts and have other people educate others on what their idea of Snipply is and what they can do. And I, I actually would argue that that part is more or less responsible for getting Snipply to all these different verticals, all these different markets. And even with built-in virality, if you don't follow somebody, you know, if you don't follow a real estate agent, for example, you're no matter how viral it is, you're never going to see that person's Snipply link. So I think built-in virality helps us extend within a market, but it's engaging the community and podcasts and bloggers that help us diverse, diverge into other markets. That's great. Very wise. I, I really applaud you for that. You know, you clearly have very high what I call EIQ, entrepreneurial IQ. Uh, <laughs> I liken it to uh, emotional intelligence that some people just innately understand things like I, I have a degree in economics and uh, incentives and, and all of this type of thing are central to microeconomic theory. And it seems as though these types of things just appear to you very clearly and naturally as part of your DNA. So I want to, with the time we have left here, transition a little bit away from Snipply in particular and into your entrepreneurial experience in general. And as a uh, tangent point, I wanted to ask you about the funding that Snipply, uh, how, how you're funding Snipply right now. So Snipply has uh, been self-funded, uh, not self-funded as in I put money in it, but self-funded as in that it's been a profitable venture very early on. That's awesome. <laughs> and I, I think there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there that thinks our funding is the only way to go. It's definitely not so. In fact, if you're profitable, it's much easier to secure funding. Oh, of course. It's like any uh, banks are much more uh, ready to <laughs> yes. loan money to somebody who doesn't need it. Yes, yes. And so we as a team decided very early on that if, if we can't make money, then there's no point in raising money. So we really focused all our efforts on proving whether or not people are willing to pay for it, building features that, you know, freemium model, being mm -hmm. being very, very particular with what we build and how can each feature 
healthcare prove whether or not this product is worth paying for. And so uh, at the very beginning, it was much cheaper. You know, we're charging something like $5 a month just to prove that it's worth something. And so, of course, that's changed a lot since then. Now, uh, would you say that you followed the, uh, the lean startup method? Uh, I think so. I mean, lean startup is very broad, but uh, the way I see it is if you move fast, and, and I think moving fast is crucial for startups, mm-hmm. then you, are, you fall under the camp of, uh, of lean. And so I, I think moving fast is one of the most important things, not just for the startup's health, but also personally as an entrepreneur. You know, time is of the essence. And being able to prove business ideas within a few months rather than a few years could make a significant difference. Well, one thing in particular I'm thinking of is like the minimum viable product concept. Mm-hmm. Did you were you ready to release something that wasn't perfect, but what is at least functional and was sufficient to uh, create learning opportunities for you? Right. And so the, the lean startup movement says that the first thing you launch, you should be embarrassed. You should almost be borderline <laughs> ashamed of what you're putting out in the market. And that was definitely true. Uh, and and I'm proud to say that to this day, that's still true. You know, when we release features, it's not ready. It's almost borderline not ready. But the insights we get uh, is what helps us shape it in the right direction. Because if you go too far towards perfection, you never know if you've gone in the wrong direction from the beginning. And so we definitely deploy the MVP mentality in everything we do, not just in the very beginning, but even now as we deploy new features. That's great. Well, we're running short on time, and there were some other things I wanted to ask you about. Can you quickly go over your previous uh, entrepreneurial experience, uh, just yes, thumbnail version? You know, and we talked about entrepreneurial DNA earlier, and I, mm-hmm. I don't believe you're born with entrepreneurial DNA. I think the entrepreneurial DNA is a result of all the failures you've experienced during your various attempts at entrepreneurship. So for me, I've started many businesses ever since I was really young. Uh, you know, you talked about lifestyle and growth businesses. I've, I've been in both of those situations, have found success and failures. Um, one example I could think of was, you know, I started off as a freelance web designer and just building websites, uh, just like many contractors. And I actually expanded that into a lifestyle business when I hired other web designers to help me build those websites and eventually turned that into a growth business because I, I introduced um, uh, basically a SaaS model to web design, allowing mm. small businesses to pay a monthly fee to sustain a website. Uh, and so I've been through these various transitions and learned different things, of course, made a tremendous amount of mistakes. Uh, and I always very heavily highlight many, many failures. Uh, and I think that's a part of what helps me make the decisions that I do today is that I would look at a situation and I'd say, oh, yeah, I had I encountered a similar situation. That was the decision that I made. And it was wrong. And so I think experience is very important. Yes, uh, we could talk about the DNA, uh, you know, the nature versus nurture for another five <laughs> yes. hours. I would only say in response that some people have a greater affinity and yeah. talent that they bring to it than others. But uh, people, including myself, after years and decades of experience, finally start to figure things out <laughs> if they just stick with it. It's a combination uh, for sure. Yeah. One last thing before we go. And, you know, I want to say something very quickly. I am going to create a short uh, overview video of how I see Snipply. Uh, for listeners of Radio Free Enterprise, and that you'll be able to access uh, just by registering with the site, and I will send you a link to that video. So I wanted to put that in there. Um, 
you know, when I when people ask me about how to raise money for a venture firm, I was a CEO of a dot com company 15 years ago at the during the dot com era. Uh, the number one thing I tell them is don't do it. Don't you know, <laughs> don't talk to venture capitalists. Don't talk to investment bankers. They're just going to make your life miserable. What would uh, what would you say uh, in a nutshell to somebody who asked you a similar question? Yeah, I think um, by far. One of the most common mistakes I see is people approach the conversation with what they benefit from the funding. But that's not what it's about. It's how your startup can benefit the VC's portfolio. At the end of the day, they're not here to do charity work. They're looking at your startup (laughs) as an investment opportunity. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the conversation needs to be framed in that way. It's how does your startup fit into their portfolio? How does the growth of your startup increase their likelihood of raising their round from their investors so that they can continue to exist as a VC firm? Because I think oftentimes people forget that VC firms don't have unlimited money. VC partners work really hard with investor relations to make sure that their fund stays alive. And so oftentimes you really have to question, are you the right fit for their portfolio? And is your growth rate actually going to benefit the firm, the, the, you know, their investment firm? Uh, and I think viewing the relationship in that way actually makes a big difference. And I, you know, I could go on hours talking about that, but I think that's the, the summary version of what I like to communicate in terms of first-time entrepreneurs pitching VCs. That's great advice. Look at it from, in effect, your customer's perspective. Yes. Why would they want to buy you? Right. Right. Well, as everything else you shared with us today, Michael, that is just great stuff. I can't thank you enough for being here today on Radio Free Enterprise. Thank you, Frank. It was an absolute pleasure. Thanks again to Michael Chang, and thank you for listening. Now, what we need to do next is you need to go to the iTunes store and subscribe to the Radio Free Enterprise podcast. While you're there, maybe you'll leave me a little review, a little five-star rating. Just ask it. After that, head on back to RadioFreeEnterprise.com and register with the site so you can get access to my video that explains what I think Snipply's all about. If you promise to do that, I promise to remain your fearless host, Frank Felker. Until next time, I'll see you on the radio. Reminding you that venture capitalists are people too. Here's Frank Felker. But pulled in just behind the bridge, he lays her down. He frowns, gee, my life's a funny thing.